We begin the show tonight by passing along a truly sad story. Our condolences go out to the family and friends of Grant Wall, American soccer journalist, a legend in the game in the United States. He has passed away while covering the World Cup in Qatar. Once again, our deepest sympathies and condolences go out to the family and friends of Grant Wall. It's Road to the Cup on ESPNLA, Friday, December 9th. What a day it was. This might have been the best day in the World Cup so far, which is saying something because this World Cup has been crazy. Well, today took it up to an 11 on the crazy factor here in the opening of the quarterfinals. The two matches were insane. Insane. Let's break them down for you. We'll start with the later one, which was actually, I didn't think you could top the first match of the day. Croatia, Brazil, and yet the crazy factor went multiplied by 10 times with the Argentina-Netherlands match. It looked like it was going to be a cruise for Argentina, didn't it? Up until the 82nd minute, they're leading 2-0. Messi with one of the best passes I've seen in my life, especially when you consider the stage. I mean, to, to, to split six defenders to get that to know, know well, Molina, who then finished brilliantly, mind you, but the pass was just exquisite the finish was great too one nil and then Messi gets a PK calmly converts it I mean it was a PK was called on the Netherlands he didn't draw it but he converted the penalty and he had a great game and then uh, Argentina lost their minds now the substitute Paredes for Rodrigo DePaul now DePaul was not good and he hasn't really been good this whole tournament in my estimation so I'm not upset with the you know making the sub but what was Leandro Paredes doing out there? He uh, he lost his mind. Hacking people, blasting a ball into the bench, should have been an immediate red card on a second yellow, like on the same play. Terrible officiating on that play. And I know, look, I know referees don't like to give out red cards if they can help it in a World Cup. They don't want to be too you know, influential on a match, but come on. When a, a play deserves it so clearly like that, you've got to do it. Again, that didn't really affect, you know, I'm not saying that that would have caused the Netherlands to win or they still battled back. And boy, did they battle back. Vud Veghorst, the sub, comes in with two goals late, one of them in the night, what, 100-plus minute in stoppage time on a, the best free kick I might have ever seen in my life, the way they took that, in that particular type of situation to pull that off. 2-2, goes all the way through to penalties. Argentina were on the front foot, hitting the post in, like, stoppage time of the extra time. It was insane. And then a 4-3 on PKs. A couple of great saves from Emiliano Martinez for Argentina, and they beat the Netherlands 4-3 on P- I mean, what a game. What was Paredes doing out there? Should have been red carded. Clearly should have had two yellows on the same play. A horrific tackle, and then he blasts the ball right into the Netherlands bench. What are you doing? I mean, just insanity. And I got to be honest with you. Those are the kind of things you see from Argentina from time to time. And it's probably going to hold them back from winning the cup. If you can't keep your head in situations like that, then those are, those are ways you're going to end up losing. And they almost did it today. Now, they deserve to win. They were the better team. Netherlands had two shots on goal. <laughs> they both found the back of the net. And that, like I said, that free kick by the Netherlands, oh, what a play. 
The best free kick I've ever seen, if you consider the situation. It really was. Just to set up and just to finish that, too. He still had work to do. Now, he caught him napping a bit, but it wasn't, like, wide open. And Veghorst still finished that. Just the stones to try that. I'm sorry. Part, you know, like, just the guts to try that kind of play then with your tournament life on the line. And they pull it off, and yet they can't win in the PKs. I kind of think the Netherlands, I mean, I understand kind of taking your foot off the gas a little bit in this stuff, but like they didn't even get forward in the extra time, really. And again, I understand the Argentina's pushing, but you had that advantage with the height. You clearly were beating them up on set pieces and, and long balls. And yeah, I think the Netherlands should have tried to play a little more for the victory instead of holding out for PKs, if I'm being honest. But again, Argentina's that good, so... Argentina dictated the tempo in the extra time, but what a game, what a match. Lionel Messi looked great, no question. Brilliant match. Uh, I didn't think, I, I told you Frankie de Jong, if he kind of controlled things, that Argentina would have a good shot. I mean, somehow they pulled out a draw in this match to get it to PKs, obviously just leaving it late, but I didn't think de Jong had a huge impact. He was good, but he didn't affect the game. That should have been a 2-0 Argentina win, man. They, they better learn their lessons from this stuff. Or maybe they're just not that great. Maybe that is it. Maybe it is just messy and. Right? I know there's talent around him. But, I, yeah, I, I tell you, they're going to have their hands full with Croatia, who got by Brazil. Two goals in, stop, in extra time in that match. You thought, oh, that Neymar goal, right, in the first match? Holy cow, one of the best goals of the tournament. One of the best goals I've seen in a long time. Neymar weaving through traffic and still finishes. You know what else he didn't do? He didn't try to draw the penalty on the play. He didn't go down. A couple little situations there. If you go back and watch that Neymar goal, maybe he could have tried to draw a penalty if he didn't have the confidence to do what Neymar can do. And Neymar did what Neymar can do. Kept his feet and buried it. One of the most beautiful goals you'll ever see. But then... What were, what, I mean, Chiche was even calling his team, telling him just a few minutes before this goal to get back. He was, you saw it on the, on the broadcast, he was pointing his team, get back. And how do you let, in the 117th minute, all of a sudden Brazil find themselves on a 4v5? Croatia's making a run after Luka Modric does a great job near midfield, but in his half to turn and deliver one pass. And all of a sudden, Croatia's running on a 5v4. And by the time they got to the 18, it was 6 versus 4. How do you let that happen, Brazil? When you're up 1-0 in the 117th minute in a quarterfinal, what are you doing? I know you love to play on the front foot. I know you're looking to put the game away. You know how else you can put the game away? By giving nothing up. And their defense had been so spectacular all tournament. And then they find themselves... Down two men in a rush in the 117th minute inside the 18. And Peck, yeah, it was a deflected shot, but you're, you're at sixes and sevens back there because you're down two men. What are you doing pushing that many men forward? I was screaming at the TV. How do you get caught out like that? And you, like I said, Chiche was imploring his team just minutes earlier than that, really seconds earlier than that, get back. But they got caught out. And if you want to win the World Cup, you cannot make that mistake. Argentina got off the hook. Brazil lose in PKs because 
Livakovic is just that good for Croatia. Set 11 saves in, in the uh, regular time and stoppage time and extra time. 11. Croatia didn't have that many chances, but Brazil lets themselves get caught out, and they don't win on PKs. 8 out of 10 times Brazil wins that game. No question. The way it played out, Brazil was dominant. But in tournament football, you can get burned, and they did. And Croatia deserves all they get in the sense of how they play. You know, there was like 50-50 in possession, and yet Croatia barely had shots on goal. And they like to just strangle the game, not by giving you the ball and defending. They'll take the ball from you, but they don't necessarily have to go forward. Croatia and Argentina, this is going to be like a battle of who wants the ball last since, no, not literally, but... Argentina's going to have a lot of possession. Croatia will take the ball from you, though, but then they don't have much to do with it. And yet they're on the verge of another final. What a day. What a magnificent day. But, boy, that had a what a kick in the teeth for Brazil when you dominate like that and you give up a goal that late the way you did. How do you let an odd man rush come at you in the 117th minute? And it was just, it wasn't some fluke. Modric just won a ball, made a quick little turn, quick pass, boom, they're gone. And I mean, Brazil, like I said, their defense has been spectacular all tournament. But you can't let that happen. And then they don't have enough time to really push forward to try to get another goal. You're going into PKs, and Lavakovic is tremendous. And Allison, who's a great goalkeeper, didn't look that great in the PK. He was all right. But it was over. Two penalty kick shootouts. I hate penalties, but man. I mean, you have to do it. I just am so tense with them. Uh, even if my team is not involved, forget the MLS Cup final. I about lost 10 years of my life. Don't even go there. But like, even when I'm not involved with any int- rooting interest, I hate them for the, for the tension. It's so tense. And they both go to PKs. I, almost, I always have to turn the sound down. No disrespect to any kind of announcer, obviously. I'm a, ra- I'm a radio broadcaster. But I can't handle watching them and hearing somebody or the, even the crowd react. Like It's more about the crowd. It's too much, whether it's positive or not, like the groan or the cheer. It's just so overpowering in PKs. But what a couple of games. Wow. So one South American power goes home. The other one, by the skin of their teeth, moves on. And I got to tell you, if I'm being perfectly honest, I've always I've wanted this Messi-Ronaldo final like that, you know, like in terms of storyline, right? I want Morocco just because of the kind of – the underdog tag, although Croatia, if you remember, we talked about World Cup odds, was 33 to 1 to win the World Cup yesterday, and Brazil was 170, you know, plus 175. Croatia was plus 3,300, and now Croatia's a game away from another final. But I want the Morocco story, but if not, you know, if you want the Messi Ronaldo, but I gotta be honest, and I hope our good buddy Pablo Alcina actually isn't listening to this episode. Argentina was hard to root for today. I wanted the Netherlands to pull that off in the end. Now, I'm such a mush. Maybe that helped Argentina. You know, me wanting the Netherlands win. You know me with my most of the time. Most of the time, except for, thankfully, LAFC. Most of my favorite teams are losers. (laughs) Most of the time. So there is that. So then once I start rooting for the Netherlands, maybe I should go apologize to my Dutch friends because once I started wanting the Netherlands to win this one, They had no shot, as it turned out. Sorry, but what a game. What a day. I don't know how tomorrow's going to improve upon it, but we'll talk about those matchups coming up. And they may well be just as good the way they look on paper. What a tournament this is turning out to be on the pitch. 
If you had Voot Veghorst scoring two goals late to tie this on your bingo card, so be it. Yell bingo, because you deserve it. Because I did not see that. Boy, how painful is that, though? We talk about painful. How painful is it to come back like that if you're the Netherlands? And then lose out and and not really get anything going in extra time. I think I would have tried to push a little. I know it's easy to say now, because you were close. You might have beat them in penalty kicks and I know Argentina was trying to pour forward. Heck, they were hitting the post at the end of this of the extra time second frame. But if you're the Netherlands, I mean, you had the, such an advantage with the size and the free kicks and you, you're in the head of Argentina. Get forward a little more. Go for it. You earn that right by getting those two late goals. Don't just back away. But again, not much else they could do really. Argentina was on the front foot. And again, the Argentines deserve to win. So I think Brazil deserved to win, but Croatia is, didn't deserve to lose either, if that makes any sense. Yes, Brazil dominated, quote-unquote, but it was really, I mean, just the way to go. Oh, what a game. What a couple of games. We'll talk more about it coming up here with our good buddy Max Bredos next. It's Road to the Cup. Dave Denholm and you on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA continues. Dave Denholm with you each and every Monday through Friday. And what a Friday it was. Craziness ensued to begin the quarterfinals. I guess I shouldn't expect any less out of this tournament. But what a day it was. Two penalty kick shootouts. One South American giant going home. The other by the skin of their teeth moving on to the semifinals. And joining me now, Max Bradas, the host of the Soccer OG World Cup Daily Pod. Of course, you know him, the LAFC voice. A great friend of the show, friend of ours, Max. Thanks for taking the time, buddy. Craziness today. What did you see out of these two <laughs> matches, Max? I guess it gets so crazy and I've been so whipped up and i got to get out of the house that uh, I completely forgot it was Friday until you said it right there. But um, <laughs> really remarkable because, you know, I, you know, I was talking about my Soccer OG World Cup show, uh, the World Cup Daily, and I was saying, hey, what, what, we, we're, we're headed maybe this Argentina-Brazil could be the biggest game. I didn't even say it could be. I said it would be the biggest game in World Cup history because of the two nations, because it's a semifinal, because of the personalities. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, is this going to be Croatia, the Netherlands? It, it was such a, these fine margins. And to have them both go to penalties, you know, I know people are going to be critical of the penalties. I mean, these were not works of art, either one. But uh, just some of the moments throughout them, uh, are just so memorable, and I'm cataloging them all. And, you know, incredible for Argentina to, to overcome that. Also equally incredible in the other direction for Brazil just to not show up in pans and just, you know, it was almost like that LAFC effect. You give up a goal that late, it's impossible to perform in penalties. So uh, that was the case for the Philadelphia Union, and it was for Brazil. And uh, I, I know they didn't win, but that cheeky trick play free kick by the Dutch to tie the game. I have just never, I mean, that is, I'm still glowing at that because, you know, I mean, we watch American football and you think of those incredible trick plays American football is, is known for. You don't do it as much in soccer, but maybe they should. And it was just uh, uh, so unexpected. And they had a penalty. They had a free kick from the exact same spot 10 minutes earlier and they didn't take it. So uh, again, I could go on, I could go on forever here, Dave, about what we saw, but that was a very special day. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Max. Some incredible individual performance. Obviously, Lavakovic for Croatia kept him in with all those saves in regulation and stoppage time and extra time. Probably a game they should really lose. But then how does Brazil give up a goal like that, Max, in the 117th minute? I was talking about it earlier. I don't know if you saw that. 
How do you give up a five on four and then a six on four by the time you get to the 18 when you're up a goal in the 117th minute? I mean, Brazil's going to be kicking themselves for that for a long time coming, aren't they? Yeah, they checked out. And, you know, I was looking, you know, there's all these videos, these overhead shots, and just to see all the Brazilian defenders jogging and uh, no, uh, I mean, they were, they thought they won the game and we saw it. I mean, the Chiche, yeah. you, you love him, but I mean, he has his emotions on his sleeve and he's running up there celebrating and it almost felt like that. I mean, he's like, all right, we achieved it. We worked so hard. Uh, I got some stick cause I tweeted that Ronald, uh, Neymar should be out of this game. He was walking a lot. He was not really involved. Then he scores the goal. So you have to eat some crow, <laughs> but I feel I got redeemed, uh, uh, because the, uh, he was part of this effort that let Croatia tie it late. I mean, that was a real mess from Brazil. And I feel like they're just stuck. They're always the most talented team. But since 2002, you know, going out in the quarters in 06, going out in the quarters in 2010, going out in the quarters of 2018, again in 2022, they made the semis in 2014, but that was almost worse than losing in the quarters because they allowed seven goals to the Germans. They have a real issue at this stage. And it's like almost like how we, we talk about Mexico in the fifth game, the quinto partido. Brazil have an issue when they get a really good opponent, when they really are tested for the first time like that, that they collapse. And it, it happened again. And they can only blame themselves because they found a way out of it. I mean, Croatia was dictating terms. I thought they were – they set it up where they're going to go to pens and they're going to like their chances. But then the Brazilians scored. And then they – a Croatia team that didn't have much in the form of fangs was able to equalize. It's just stunning. And, but uh, we could, I could applaud Croatia, but I wonder what Brazil were thinking there and whether they thought the job was done. Yeah, I agree. You can't get caught out like that. You can't make them. It was really the only mistake their defense made all tournament, in a sense. And it yeah. cost them. It cost them. Yeah, they've so been so dearly. good. Yeah, they really. And that's why I thought legitimately Brazil was the favorite this time, Max, because as you say, they're always like the most talented offensively, certainly, and but they always had questions defensively at times, or at least maybe they were too offensive and didn't know how to take their foot off. The, I thought this defense was set up to actually win the Cup as much as their offense was. It bit them today, no question. And Croatia, boy, kudos to them, just a professional. Croatia are grown men, is what they are. That's all they are. Well, I, Dave... Let me tell you something about Croatia, and they might win it in 2022, but I've seen enough from that program going even back to 1998. Yeah. They, you know, everyone has a reputation in this World Cup. Uh, Croatia has a winning one. They, they are hard to play against, and whatever they're doing, you know, everyone has a, every country has a way about them. The Germans, the Brazilians, the Japanese, they all have a way, and Croatia has a way, and no one wants a piece of it. It's a matter, that country is going to win a World Cup. It might be in 2022, but they're just hovering around the top all the time that we have to mention them, and it's hard to because it's got less than 4 million Croats in that country, but the way they're hovering around constantly, they're right there with the big names, even further along than Brazil. I mean, Croatia feel closer to winning, they literally are closer right now, but they're just always in it. And also the Euros to a lesser degree. But making the final and now this, I mean, I know Argentina's going to, I mean, if they, if they think that's that the Croats are, are, are going to be pushed over, now they got another thing coming. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Speaking of Argentina, what a performance by Messi in control. Obviously, as we talked about a little bit, they let the foot off the gas and with the good subs that Louis Van Hall made to kind of just go aerial and just go big and try to you know, beat up Argentina late. It works with Vuk Vedhorst, but 
not enough. I thought Argentina certainly deserved to win, but Max, what was Leonardo, what was Paredes doing in that match in the sense that he should have been tossed out two or three times with like a second, a third, a fourth yellow, and you cannot do that kind of stuff. If the referee honestly had a, a decent match, Argentina may well have been down a man and lost this thing. Yeah, it was not. Uh, it was Antonio Mateu, who he's so recognizable. He's a Spanish uh, referee, and he's one of the more famous refs. But I mean, I think that's part of the the Spanish way too. But this was pedantic. It was whistle after whistle with like sixteen yellow cards, and he had no control over that sideline scuffle that you never see. That is where the referees have to gain control. And I think they showed one yellow out of that. So all of a sudden, showing yellows for every little thing. This horrific situation, um, he doesn't really control. So that was a big part. And I know people say, you know, Messi's getting all these calls. And he did. And I think part of it is like, it's Messi. So I like protecting some of the big stars. We do it with Carlos Vela all the time. And you also have to, uh, you also have to look at um, Neymar. I mean, you have to protect him because they, otherwise they get chopped down. But it was out of control. And then he had that handball that wasn't called. So, I mean, it was a little excessive. And Messi knew it, so he knew he was getting those calls. And it wasn't uh, – so I felt bad for the Dutch. And that obviously was a big case. Uh, but that was bad for Scaloni. Paredes was bad off the bench. Uh, Pesela was bad off the bench. And um, it allowed the Dutch to get in. And Louis van Gaal, who, you know, his tactics throughout, they looked toothless offensively. You have to criticize him for that. But making adjustments – to me, it's like, where are you at the end of the game? Uh, he knew he, he didn't have a Messi. I mean, this was a very limited roster when you look at it. Uh, hence, Boot Veghorst coming into this game to save it. But uh, uh, where are you at the end of the game? And he was in extra time and going to penalties. So uh, hats off to him. He is just a, a true master, you know, a Mount Rushmore type uh, coach in the history of the game. Maybe not quite there, but pretty close. And you feel bad for the Dutch because they've never won it. And you think they, you, maybe the stars were aligned here. But they fall a little bit, bit bit short. But there's some questions certainly for Argentina, although I thought this was a much better game than they had against Australia and then in the groups. Uh, and Messi had his best game. I mean, that incredible pass and then hitting two penalties uh, throughout that game. So this was Messi's best game, but they're going to need another great one from him if they want to win it. Yeah, it feels weird to say, based on all he's done in his career, he looks more confident in this tournament than I've seen him in other World Cups. Not just tense. Not just, you know, the weight of the world. Maybe it's that they already won the Copa America, but he looks actually more confident, which is weird to say about a guy who's been considered the best player in the world for more than a decade. But am I wrong? He seems to be playing at a slightly different level in the World Cup than he ever has. Yeah, and um, there's something about this team. I mean, every team he's played for, there were always like, we're doing it for Messi. He was always the big star, at least the last couple ones. But I think you go a little further back, you kind of have to kiss the ring. For some other guys, whether uh, it was uh, Carlos Tevez or some other players that came yeah. through, they obviously had that 2014 uh, final run, which I thought was a, a great team effort. I mean, everyone worked hard there and did their jobs, but they put them, they put Lionel Messi in a position to be successful, and everyone works hard around them. And they all say we're doing this for Lionel. We saw that in the Copa America, and we've seen it since with how they have uh, been able to perform, but. Um, uh, I, I love the the midfielders behind them, the kids coming off the bench to become so critical, and Enzo Fernandez and Julian Alvarez, um, and uh, whose name's escaping me to score that the early goal, Acuna. I mean Molina. Uh, these guys, they all they all they all go to him, and they're like, "Oh, it's for you." And it's just a good balance. 
And I know that Messi, you know, they're not, I mean, and Croatia did this with Modric too. And managing the older players has backfired on a lot of teams. But Croatia's done a good job and Argentina's done a good job where they can keep the skillful guy in there and, you know, with, you know, an economy of touches really able to make a big difference. They say, we'll do the rest, just have that moment, and he did. We're talking with the host of the Soccer OG World Cup Daily Podcast, Max Bradas, the voice of LAFC. And before I let you go, Max, I'm going to be breaking these games down coming up here on the show, but give me a little taste. What are you thinking of Morocco-Portugal, which is the early game, and then, of course, France-England to wrap up the quarterfinals? What do you see out of those? Well, I'm glad I, – I mean, I, I didn't really have a rooting interest here, but I'm glad Argentina got into the semifinals because uh, I was fearful that it was going to be an all-European semi. Um, and there would have been a lot of responsibility on Morocco to get through that. We had that in the last World Cup. And, uh, for, for me, and I think for most casuals, the, a good World Cup doesn't have four European teams at the end because then it becomes the European Championships. So uh, they have control of the sport right now. So I think Argentina, I think the rest of the world could celebrate that you had one of those teams in there. And maybe Morocco, they, uh, it's, I mean, Portugal look uh, you know, the, the, I don't think we should even have a conversation about Ronaldo because uh, if, if someone says, does he bring him back in the starting 11, that should be laughed out of the room. How could you bring him back when the move went so well? You've done the hard part to bench him, and now that's where he stays, I imagine, uh, until the remainder or if uh, Gonzalo Ramos um, has a re- is injured or a stinker, knock on wood. But Portugal look like, you know, they're talented and they have their bit between their teeth. I, I would imagine it, the run ends for Morocco, who have been uh, fantastic and so many good players there. Uh, I, I know Aguer and Saiz, those two center backs have been good. I think Saiz, some reports that he's injured and Aguer did come out of that game. Then you have England, uh, but I, I would imagine Portugal emerge and they could do it uh, triumphantly because, you know, Morocco just doesn't have the depth. And England-France, to me, is a real coin flip. I mean, everyone's going France, but I, I, all I've seen from England is a consistent team that uh, continue to have their noses out in front, never trailed. You know, they were convincing over – what I mean, they took care of Wales early. They took care of Senegal early. And uh, they, uh, they have this now superstar Jude Bellingham, who, to me, you have like four or five players that are on that top tier, the first-class uh, first cabin of World Cup performers – and Bellingham is in there, so uh, this is uh, this is a, a very intriguing matchup. I, I'm leaning towards the English just because um, they. Uh, it feels like all the pieces have fallen into place. They have that depth, and the French. If if Mbappe goes crazy and he opens up space for others, then that'll be the case. Uh, but I think England will have a very good plan for Mbappe. Look for Declan Rice to have a major part in that. But to me, that one is very hard to call, but I'm going to lean in towards the English, which is I'm sure is going to drive some people batty around here because <laughs> we're going to have to deal with that again. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Max Bradas, host of the Soccer OG World Cup Daily Pod. Check him out. Of course, the voice of LAFC and a friend of ours. Max, thanks for taking the time. We appreciate it. We roll on. Coming up next on the Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Dunholm with you as we roll on on this glorious Friday after a couple of incredible quarterfinal matchups that went to penalty kick shootouts. The second on the day was nuts. And joining me to talk about it is the uh, the Argentine himself, the biggest Argentine fan. He's an Argentine himself, and he loves Argentine football. What's not to love with the success they have, and they have success in the end today. And I just want to hear what Pablo Alcina has to say about it. Pablo, thanks for joining us. 
Just give me your reaction to this crazy game earlier. Well, Dave, hello, everyone. And what a game. My nerves finally calming down. But if you actually want to see what I looked like while the game was going on, look up La Tribuna del Mundial because our show goes on no matter what. After 90 minutes, we're on live on a different section uh. of Peacock. And then the other part of Peacock is the game, but we go live regardless. So the full extra time, the PKs, we are live on TV. <laughs> so I'm sure they're going to they're gonna load that up. So you have me on camera live going, okay, final free kick. For, for the Netherlands, here it goes, and then my heart just breaks. It was crazy, but what, I, I still knew if we go to PKs, I will put Argentina's boys and Dibu Martinez against anybody, and what an end to the game. We hit one off the post, Enzo Fernandez. I wish you would have scored that. But for 83 minutes, Dave, it was exactly what I told you was going to happen. Argentina was going to have the ball nearly the whole time, control possession, control the hardest plays. We were up to zero. The first shot on goal by the Netherlands in the whole game, it's a header that goes in, and you're going, oh, my God. And we had already taken out Romero, who's one of our tallest guys. Uh, De Paul, who had a brilliant game, he had, you know, he had to come out, and I was just getting nervous. But, man, what a game, what a game. Just two wins to go, Dave. Remember I told you, after the first loss, it's all good. All we got to do is win six in a row. Now all we got to do is win two. Now let me ask you, and it's a great assessment, absolutely. I know you were on pins and needles. I thought Paredes lost his mind a little bit there as a sub for DePaul. As you said, it was a good sub in the sense of Paredes is a great player. But, boy, he could have been out of that match, Pablo. You cannot do that late in that match like that. What did he? What was going on? You're talking about when he commits the foul and then he kicks the ball out of bounds? Yes. That, that, yes. Should, have been, that should have been a yellow, a yellow, and should have been gone. I'll, I'll be honest. But then the entire Netherlands team rushes the field. They start shoving people. Every single player that rushed the field should have gotten yellow, so a couple players should have been gone also. Uh, it was just – Yeah. Messi had a handball that should have been a yellow. Thank God he didn't give him a yellow. The PK, I thought, was a PK. I thought it yeah. was a PK. But the entire first half, he was – the referee was calling nothing for Argentina. And it was starting to get to me. And then when I saw that they added 10 minutes, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But uh, Dave – PK shootouts are cruel. It should have been Brazil, Argentina, Croatia. What a comeback. Hats off to them. It's not Croatia, Argentina, but I wanted semifinals. Neymar, Brazil, Argentina, Messi. That's what we should have had. That's what should have happened. But at least the PK gods were good for Argentina, and we advanced to the semifinals. We are talking with Pablo Alcina. You can check out his work in pre- and post-games on for uh, Telemundo Deportes on Peacock, streaming on Peacock. We love Pablo. As he said, he goes right on after the 90 minutes. So, holy cow, if Argentina goes to extra time anymore, that is going to be must-viewing again with Pablo. Pablo, <laughs> let me, you mentioned it real quick with Croatia. I mean, at some point, we all have to acknowledge Croatia is one of the best countries in the world at football. I mean, this team is just so hard to beat, and Brazil learned a tough lesson somehow getting caught out in the 117th minute and allowing Croatia on a six-on-four rush, which was insane. But talk about this matchup, Argentina-Croatia. Clearly, it's two of the best teams in the world. Yeah, first, I'm going to quickly blame the Brazil uh, coach. There's no reason you only have three guys back with a minute to go in extra time. I mean, that's when you park the bus. I I know Brazil doesn't like to play like that, but at that point, you do that. That was just brutal. Casemiro was like jogging back, no, no gas left. There shouldn't be gas left. You should have had six guys in the back. But credit to Croatia, they won the game. And now, remember the last World Cup, Croatia knocked out USA in the round of 16. 
So they went extra time there. They went in extra time in the quarterfinals. They went to extra time in the semifinals. So their legs were dead against France in the finals. Here we go again, another World Cup, and again, extra time. They beat Japan. And now again, Brazil, extra time. So this is a team that knows how to play extra time soccer. And Luka Modric was just a brilliant, brilliant player again today. Yeah, Brazil dominated, but every single time, number 10 for Croatia had the ball. He would settle the team down. He would move the ball. He would open up spaces. What a player. He's 37 years old. We talk about Messi, his last World Cup. Messi's 35. Lucas, 37, and he's still outrunning everybody. On the other side, Messi, what a game. They did not take one ball away from him. Brilliant. The pass, it was like playing billiards. A perfect through ball between four guys. Puts it on Molina's preferred foot. Just a brilliant pass. And Molina's goal, his first ever with Argentina. That's another player who scores his first ever goal for Argentina in this World Cup. Enzo Fernandez did the same thing. McAllister did the same thing. But the matchup, Luca versus Messi, is much-watched TV. Of course, it's not going to be Brazil-Argentina, which both would have looked to be offensive. Croatia's going to play copy-paste what you saw with Brazil. Croatia's going to give a possession, stay back, take their chances. But even when they take their chances, they're going to do it with two Two, one guy at top with Perisage, maybe two, three guys. That's it. They're not going to take more chances. The only thing that hurts me for Argentina, Acuna picked up a yellow. He's a brilliant left back who had so much offense to Argentina, especially this game when they went with uh, with three, uh, three in the back with really a back line of five. But Acuna, brilliant. He's not going to be able to play the next game. Montiel, who plays uh, right back, he won't be able to play the next game. So Argentina... I think has to go back to a backline of four, bring in Tagliafico, and not be with those three center backs like they played today. Against Croatia, you don't need the three center backs, and you don't really need Acuna, but those are two big-time losses. Um, and also, big key is DePaul going to be healthy. He gutted it out. He played his heart out again. Lots of people criticize him the first couple of games. I think he's the heart and soul of that midfield. Is he going to be 100%? Is Di Maria going to be able to start and be 100%? What I did like was Lautaro making that last PK, huge for him. Nice little positive boost if they need uh, to play him. But we absolutely need DePaul to be healthy, especially with with, uh, these two players, Acuna Montiel, not being able to play. And hats off to McAllister. Lots of people don't know him. Plays for Brian and Hove. His dad, World Cup champion with Argentina in 86, McAllister played a brilliant game. Just 22 years old. Again, people think about Argentina as a veteran team. No, Di Maria and Messi are veterans. Besides that, your whole midfield average is around 23 years old. Julian uh, Alvarez, he looks like he's 16 with his acne. He's a young kid. He's 21. McAllister's 22. Enzo Fernandez, he's 22. So it's a young team. This team is not filled of superstars, Dave. It's filled of heart. It's filled of guts. And they do have number 10. And it's destiny in the making. It has to happen. Messi has to be in the World Cup final, and he has to finish his career winning it all with Argentina. Oh, great stuff from the, the great Pablo Alcina. You can check out his work for uh, Telemundo Deportes on the pre- and post-game shows, streaming on Peacock all throughout this World Cup. And I love you joining us. Thank you so much for taking the time, uh, Pablo. As usual, congratulations. But it is going to be a good one. You outlined that match against Croatia perfectly. Enjoy, man. A trip to the final awaits, potentially. So enjoy it. I know it's hard sometimes. It's so tense. But uh, have fun. 
Yeah, ima imagine imagine being on live TV and your executive producer whispers in your ear. By the way, Pablo, no bad words. <laughs> so it wasn't easy. But uh, I'll send you the link so you can, you can see my reaction. Vamos, Argentina, baby. Two wins to go. Love you, Dave. Love you, L.A. I'll be back in L.A. December 20. Hopefully we'll be celebrating Argentina world champions for a third time. Oh, great stuff from Pablo Alcina. Stick around. We've got to uh, take a look at those games coming up tomorrow here on Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Road to the Cup on ESPN LA. Dave Denholm with you. What a day it's been. What a great show so far. Max Brados and Pablo Alcina joining me talking about these quarterfinal matchups. Croatia and Argentina through on penalties. Brazil and the Netherlands go home in the quarterfinals. Croatia and Argentina will meet up for a berth in the World Cup final in Qatar. Wow. Unbelievable day. Tomorrow, if it's, cra if it's just as crazy, it'll be nuts. It probably can't even come close to what happened today. But, well, they'll try. Morocco and Portugal, the early game, 7 a.m. Pacific. And let's break it down real quick. I think Walid Regwigi is a, a great manager for Morocco. He set up his team so well defensively. Uh, Yassim Bono, the goalkeeper. Masrawi, Saiz and Aguirre, we don't know if the injuries are going to bother them for this match. And Hakimi is one of the best right backs, if not the best right back, not only in the tournament, but in the world. And then you've got Amrat, or, or Amrabat in the middle of the, the midfield with Amala and Unahi. And then up front, Bufal as Nesri, El Nesri and uh, Ziyech for Morocco. That's likely how they'll line up. That's how they lined up in their round of 16 win over Spain, winning in penalties in that one. For Portugal, Fernando Santos, you wonder how he's going to, if he's, you know, can't go back. You heard uh, Max Bredos talk about it earlier. You can't go bra back to Cristiano Ronaldo now because Gonzalo Ramos had one of the games of the tournament, a hat trick and an assist in that thrashing of Switzerland. If he stays the same, it's Diogo Costa, Guerrero, Diaz, Pepe, and Dalo in the back. Great defense. Bernardo Silva, Carvalho, and Otavio in the midfield. They're loaded. Joao Felix, Joao Felix Gonzalo Ramos, and Bruno Fernandes up front for Portugal. Now, how do I rank these teams against each other? Manager, you got a slight advantage for Fernando Santos to take the guts to bench Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, everybody was thinking it was the right move. It was. Could have backfired, though. And then you would have taken heat. You know, it's one of those where everybody can agree with you until it doesn't work. And if Portugal would have bowed out in the round of 16 because Cristiano Ronaldo didn't start, or at least that's what the story would have been, Santos would have been destroyed for that, but I give him a slight edge in manager. Although, like I said, Regwagi has been great. Walid Regwagi is just awesome manager for Morocco, and he's only been in charge for months. In goal, I give a Bono just a slight advantage over Diogo Costa, but I think they're both very good. The defense for Morocco has been ridiculous. If those guys are healthy in the back line, they have a slight advantage over the defense of Portugal, just slightly. Again, these are razor-thin margins if Morocco's completely healthy. They gave up one goal all tournament so far. In 300 minutes against Spain, Belgium, and Croatia, nothing. Nothing. Think about that. Croatia's on the verge of potentially going to the final again. Belgium was, you know, the supposed generation, you know, and Spain just kills you with their possession, and they dominate, and they score... No goals in 300 minutes against those teams. And Canada only scored on a very fluky, to be honest, own goal. Morocco has been stellar. Can Portugal break it down? Well, let's look at the midfield. I think it's a wash. I think both teams are very good through the mid. And up front, that's where Portugal has an advantage, however slight. 
because Morocco, the way they play too, they're not going to push the action too much, right? They're going to let their defense kind of control the match by letting the other team come at them. Well, when you got Joao Felix and Ramos and Bruno Fernandez, that can be trouble. And, oh, by the way, you can bring in Rafael Leal, if you prefer, or Cristiano Ronaldo. So the advantage up front is Portugal's, and I think that's where the difference is. I think Portugal will probably break them down, and it may well be 1-0. I mean, we saw Spain with all that possession. It it went 0-0 in the penalties. It may well be a 1-0, but I think Portugal. I want Morocco to win just for the story, but I also wouldn't mind Messi and Ronaldo in a final. I'm I'm not going to lie. So we'll see how that plays out. France and England. If you're looking at France, Didier Deschamps and Gareth Southgate, the managers, you give the advantage there to Deschamps. In goal, you got Hugo Laurie and uh, Jordan Pickford. I give the advantage to Pickford because I think Laurie is maybe capable of uh, the big gaff. He's a great keeper and certainly is a great shot stopper, great player, and he can certainly go out and win you a match potentially. But I think he's also more capable of the big error than Pickford, who's very solid. If you're talking about defense, I think it's a wash. The way that the England defense play, I mean, Harry Maguire gets a lot of grief, but him and John Stones have been red hot tough. Midfield, pretty much a wash. I know everybody loves Jude Bellingham. Yeah, okay. Mason Mount, maybe Henderson, depending on how he goes with Declan Rice. But, I mean, you're talking about Rabiot and Griezmann and, you know, just the way France controls the mid. It's a wash. Bellingham, to me, I'm still I'm still thinking of Jude Bellingham against the U.S., who just dominated him. And then up front, slight advantage to France. It's hard to say that with Giroud, Dembele, and Achille and Mbappe, but it's an advantage over how good, despite how good England's been up front, with Saka, Kane, and Foden, who likely will get the start. Well, I would think that's who would get the start up front. But there's also weapons coming off the bench for both teams. France has the advantage. France wins this one 2-1, but I think it's going to be a great game. Wouldn't surprise me at all if England wins. It's not a major shock by any means, but what a matchup that is. I'll give the slight advantage to France overall. Time now for the great Mario Rees, who's producer of the show, to join me for stoppage time. Mario, we got a couple of minutes, according to the assistant referee. Or the fourth official. Dave, what a beautiful, crazy, but, you know, wild day oh. in Qatar today. It was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Messi, he, in his wild game, he had a little bit of uh, trouble with the refs. I mean, he wasn't really uh, that impressed with the referees. He, he had some words afterwards, and this is from TYC Sports. He says FIFA has to review that. The referee is not up to par. And Dave, I totally agree. This referee was part of the storyline a little bit too much for this match. Uh, he looked like he was trying to make his mark on the match, which is never good in any sport. I mean, he was handing out, he was talking to the sideline. Like in the first few minutes of the game, he was calling out Di Maria. He was sitting on the bench and he was like chatting with him in the middle of the match. It was like, What's going on here? And then all these yellow cards, some deserving, some not deserving, some, you know, he missed. Yeah. It was just wild, Dave. It was wild. I think he he let uh, himself become the story a little too much, mm-hmm. frankly. Uh, Antonio uh, Mateo Lajos, who's a, a, a good ref in La Liga. I don't think he had a good day by any means. But here's the thing. If Messi's complaining about it, and maybe it's because Messi felt he was getting fouled too much, but he could have had a yellow card that, you know, on the handball, didn't right. get that call when it was called earlier in the match. Argentina got a penalty in this game, a deserved penalty, but he made the call for them and Mm -hmm. made the right call there. And Paredes gets a nasty tackle and then whips the ball into the Netherlands bench immediately. That's two yellow cards it should have been. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he only got one. Mm-hmm. And then Paredes could have had a third and a fourth yellow based on how he was tacked. And and uh, Mateo just wouldn't give it to him. So I don't know what Messi's really complaining about or Argentina really have to complain about, frankly. I think they got, uh, you know, not that they got so many calls that it was unfair. I think the referee was poor in both directions, if I'm being honest. But I don't think he really slighted Argentina by any means in this match in terms of calls. You know how it is, though. You only remember the calls that went against you and your team, right? Yeah. But the Paredes one is so egregious because it should have just been bang, bang, yellow, yellow, boom, you're gone. You know, that, that should have just been so easy. And he purposely didn't give him a second yellow for that. That was ridiculous. And that, you know, I don't blame the Netherlands for reacting that way. They should have got more yellows and potentially people could have been kicked out for that, too. I mean... You got to give them. I know referees don't want to give yellows in these situations, but then you're affecting the game too much when you don't, frankly. You can't allow Paredes to get away with that. You just can't. And yeah, I mean, Argentina skating a fine line there with Paredes that way, and they got away with it today. And I don't know how they have too much to complain about when it comes to the ref. I mean, they were like chasing after him after regulation, you know, going into. It's like, what are you complaining about, Argentina? I mean, really. And I'm not saying the Netherlands was so aggrieved by the referee. I think it was pretty, in terms of who won, I think it was, you know, Argentina deserved it. But, wow, just interesting. Hey, great stuff, as always, from Mario and from uh, our, our guest, Max Predos and Pablo Alcina. If you want to podcast any show you miss or interviews you miss, if you don't hear them on the show here, you can listen to the podcast anywhere you get your pods or go to the ESPN LA app. I'm Dave Denholm. This is Road to the Cup. We'll see you Monday on ESPN LA.